drop. Well, hi everyone. Welcome to this week's The Doghouse. Professional retriever trainers Adam Campbell from Hillside Kennels and Jimmy Rogers from Mallard Run Kennels are here to talk dog training. Plus, duck hunting, outdoor world equipment, and retriever and hunting events. Handlers, Master A. The Doghouse is brought to you in part by Sullivan Motors in Collins, Mississippi, featuring those great Chevrolet trucks. BS delivers at Sullivan Motors. Back. So, let's get started. Here are Adam Campbell and Jimmy Rogers. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of The Dog House. Come in, Jimmy Rogers. What you doing, Adam? Daggone, that was very professional sounding. Man. Ooh, educated, what got you man. So, <laughs> sound like an, it sounded like a man who graduated from the Alabama University. <laughs> Watching now, it's a University of Alabama. And the they didn't Alabama. let me out of there with no degree. They sent me down to <laughs> University of West Alabama. <laughs> Um, after a couple of yeah. years there of not a whole ton of success, um, <laughs> on the GPA front, um, yes, they sir. recommended that transfer was an option. And, uh, they so recommended I, a transfer. Yeah, I understand. They said, if you transfer your D's and your F's don't transfer with you, therefore your <laughs> GPA will come up. And so I, uh, took heed to their advice and, uh, away I went. So <laughs> sometimes you just got to know when to pull the plug. Don't sometimes you? I just said, thank you, ma'am. And walked out. So kind of like me running that, uh, blind with that young chocolate dog yesterday. Sometimes you just got to know it ain't going to get no better right now. <laughs> you have to stop. That's right, man. And, and I, I, uh, you know, to my credit, I did go to West Alabama and at this point had matured quite a bit and I had met Carrie and, um, she made significant difference in my life and mm. the direction of my life and was on the presidential and dean's list at Livingston. So uh, I can yes. read and spell cat if you give me the C and the T. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So, God bless you, man. Hey, look, we all got – somebody's got to be somewhere doing something. And the, world, the world needs street sweepers. Sweet, sweet streepers are just as important as the ditch diggers, man. They gotta have them. Gotta have them. Yes, sir. yes. Sir. Have them. Uh, just if you go, if you're gonna dig a ditch, just be the best one in it. It's what I've always said. Absolutely. Whatever you're gonna do, you just go to be the best. So that's right. We got big Alex Summers sitting in with us here. He's been uh, on vacation and hanging out here a lot this week with me and training dogs and whatnot. And, um, cool. So you wanna say, Alex? Well. Guy? Hey, yeah. Welcome in, Alex. Glad to have you again. I know you've been there right there with us from the beginning, man. Oh, yeah. I try my best to stay around. Yes, sir. Good deal. Good deal. You hang <clears> with take, a good dude there. It takes a pretty tough rascal to run with me full time, you know. Oh. There's going to be a butt chewing here and there. And, you know, sometimes <laughs> it, you may not be all wrong and still get gnawed on, but, you know, <laughs> yeah. around here. So, mm -hmm. so what, what have we got in store today? Adam, what's your, what's your I, thoughts here? I, I throw it up on the Instagram, you know, shoot me a question, and we're going to do a podcast on this Friday evening, and we would address some of them. And, and yes, so sir. we jotted some down. Um, and by the way, Instagram, if you don't follow us there, 
at Campbell's Hillside Kennels at Mallard Run. Give give your boys a, a follow over there. But, uh, Jimmy, when's the last time you've been on Instagram? Uh-oh. Jimmy. I got you. Oh, you got me? Yeah, I got, yeah it's, it's – it's, we're on touch and go right now. Yeah, Jimmy's traveling again. Who would have thought it? But there's um, there's a shock, ain't it? There's a shock. But if Jimmy goes out, we're gonna continue on until Jimmy comes back in. So uh, yeah, you ready for some questions, there, Big Jim? I am. I am. And like I say, I'm right on the edge. Uh oh. All right. So. Uh, right now, yeah, you, being in good service again. So if I drop out, I'll. I'll there he goes. There he goes. All right, Big Al. Let's go on without Jim. So Big Al is going to ask the questions. Um, tell who sent them in. Ask the questions, and I'll keep answering until Jimmy Rogers calls back. All right. So we got the first question from uh, MC thirty four UA old Mark Corville. and the question is: Have you ever seen a guy shoot a goose on the right side? When he was standing on the left side. Um, here's Jimmy. All right, Jim, you back? I'm back, bud. Right. I'm back. It should be good from here on. All right. Big Al just asked our first question. I'm going to let him ask it again so you can hear it. Here we go. All right. What we got? This is not dog training. The first couple are not necessarily dog training. It's kind of funny. Yeah. Okay. All right, cool. Have you ever seen a guy shoot a goose on the right side when he was standing on the left side? <laughs> uh, well i have like that I, I have i was there okay and this guy must have and he's a f- dear friend of ours and we love him and um his name i ain't gonna call i am gonna call his name his name is jason Watkins. and I, I was me and jason was standing on the right side of the goose mark and our buddy wes was on the left side all right, mm-hmm. Jimmy. Here, mm-hmm. here it comes between us. It splits the difference. When it gets right above us, everybody takes a whack at it. All right, so <laughs> here it comes down, and like, dude, it fell, and I'm gonna say inches from Jason, and like he never moved. Like, <laughs> I mean, I don't see how it kept from tearing his head off. And uh, he said, "Well, I got that one," and uh. He was like, I don't know. Now I thought Wes and Mark hit it over there, and it, it was it was all on the left side, the opposite side of me and him is where all the shot had hit. And we was we said, now bud, you got some of them boomerang shotgun shells. It goes under him and doubles back into him. But uh, that's what Mark was talking about right there. That was that was a lot of fun. Yeah. Hey, Jason, I wish he was here to defend himself. To this day, claims that he killed that goose. So, and, and he might have. <laughs> he, he might have. He might have. He may have some he of them high dollar boomerang shotgun shells. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. What? Uh, what was it? A snow goose? No, it was a Canada goose. One of the big Canada geese. I copy that. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. back when. This has been several years ago. Probably, I'm gonna say nine or ten years ago. Back when we used to run, you know, hunt them real hard here in the state of Alabama. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Got we stumbled upon a goose, but good question, Mark. All right, here we go. Let's go to the next one. That was just for fun. (laughs) (laughs) So next we got uh, from Rob Kenny. We got boyhood dog, first dog you ever had from a puppy, name, and a good story about that dog. All right. Go ahead, Jim. 
I, so the question was first dog I ever had, I got from a, that I got from a puppy my first dog it, that I ever had. Is that the question? Yeah. Uh, and then tell a story okay. on it. All right. So, uh, I've had dogs my whole life. When I was two or three years old, my first dog was a beagle, a little, uh, blanket back tricolor beagle. His name was Wolfie. And, uh, I, I remember Wolfie, but he was, I was still pretty young. I see a lot of pictures of him, you know, from when I was a kid. And, uh, the funny part of that was, uh, I was eating ice cream cone one time and my mom went to the house, come back out and I would take a lick and then I'd let Wolfie have a lick <laughs> and I'd take a lick and she, of course, you never know my mom. She didn't find that funny at all. <laughs> you know, the nastiest thing she ever seen. So I'm sure old uh, Wolfie had just finished up licking his old butthole. <laughs> oh, you know, he had. So I get, I guess I've had it in my blood a long time. <laughs> So that was that was my first old wolfie, a, a beagle hound. <laughs> that's yeah. that's awesome. I guess, yeah. man. I remember back being a kid, we had um, a dog named Yogi, and you know he was just an old dog in the yard. And then we had a, I guess, the first puppy we ever got was a Dalmatian. Uh, her name was Pebbles, and that sucker would bite you. I remember that. Um, <laughs> and, a, and a good story yeah. about Pebbles is, like, my dad would like feed everything to the dogs and so anything was left from supper that night that didn't get ate scraps at thanksgiving there was a scrap bucket and if you you put your scrap food in the garbage now there was you gonna have to fight because the dogs had to eat something and uh one night mama cooked some chicken wings and jimmy they were so hot like you could smell the heat coming off of them and and like if you touched them it would burn your fingers. And m- mama was like, just throw them away. And daddy's like, no, we're not throwing them away. We'll feed them to the dog. So you're not supposed to feed the dog chicken wings. I'm feeding it to the dog. So he goes out there and feeds old pebbles them hot chicken wings. And chicken wings, but they were like smoking hot, bud. And the next day, we was out in the yard playing ball. We were just little kids, you know, and out there. And pebbles would bow up on one side of the yard and try to use the bathroom, and she would drag her butt all the way across the yard and bow up again and drag it back. I bet she did it ten times. <laughs> Trying to get the Poor heat dog off. was hurting, man. Poor old dog. Hey, and that old dog lived to be like 15 years old. And eat chicken bones. Eat chicken yeah. bones. And not only chicken bones, like like oh, biscuit hob- and gravy. Whatever habanero had. chicken, like <laughs> burn your eyes looking at them it was they were so hot so oh uh, yeah hey we all them dogs when i grew up on them that's what they got whatever we had for breakfast and lunch and supper when it was done at the end of the day the dogs got to eat and i I, I, we (laughs) wasn't no such thing as buying dog food and i know it's terrible but that's just the way like we didn't know no better yeah just just our country folks yeah, steak bones, pork chop bones, chickens, you know, whatever whatever it was, and that's that's what they got, you know. And yeah, that's <laughs> now, oh my gosh. I hear these dogs around a like a truck stop or something, you know, and oh my gosh. I, I worry so bad when I was gonna get a piece of chicken or so you know, people throw everything out. I've got to where I won't even air around a truck stop because the garbage they throw out around in places I'm so cautious with, but 
Yeah, them old dogs lived, like you said, shoot, they lived forever. I mean, like literally forever. And sausage gravy and whatever we had, that's what they that's what they eat. I, I think old Pebbles lived to be 14 or 15. And I think what yeah. ended up killing her was heartworms because she got to where she was going, ha, 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 all the time. Like it didn't stop. And we, yeah. didn't, we didn't know about no heart guard or none of that yeah. stuff, you know, just, just old dog. Yeah, they tough. They tough animal. Rob, I don't know if you was looking for our first duck dog or what, but there you go. That's some childhood history on me and Jim. You know, we were dog men from way back. Chicken bone eating suckers, you know. (laughs) To make sure we don't do that. Do not do that. Do not feed them chicken bones. (laughs) We we do not recommend. That's a disclaimer. Yeah, but we we recommend ProPlan Sport. You know, thirty twenty. Push. Yeah, that's right. All right, big Al, hit us with something else. All right, this from uh Ohio Ducka Five. And it says, How do I fix gun shyness in my two year old chocolate male? Mm. All right. Uh so that Adam, I'll go first, that's all right. Yeah, go ahead. All right, I had a client that I trained the dog for not this summer but summer before last, uh, dog made HRCH senior hunter went home, had a hunting season though, been three summers ago, had a good hunting season. Didn't kill a lot of birds over the dog, but the dog, the birds that killed got fine hunted out of a pit, Missouri, no trouble. Not this past 4th of July, July before that fourth, the dog had a really bad experience inside the house with some fireworks in the neighborhood. And he come in and the dog was totally, freaked out he said about just the dog seeing the gun would cause the dog to go into a panic attack like run get under the bed or run get under the truck called me and i said man that's weird i said you know a dog that's done made his hrch done been duck hunted you know bring him up here let's let's try you know because he done quit like this past duck season he didn't even hunt him it was so bad so the first thing i done I took the dog out and shot flyers to him. Now, this is a pre-trained dog who had experienced that, and I started shooting him some flyers and got him really excited about retrieving again. And then, like yesterday, I sent a guy a video of me standing beside him with a shotgun pump shotgun shooting live ammo, and we were throwing long marks, but we were just throwing marks, and I was shooting from up at the line with that, you know, like a three-inch duck load. Right. And the dog, the dog never flinched because he was so focused on those marks so sometimes if the dog is truly gun shy I, I i haven't experienced that but just once or twice and several hundred dogs i've trained so i i don't know if there's an answer to if it's truly gun shy or if sometimes i think people make a bigger deal of it it just go train and put the gun in it and if he's two years old and been trained and he's developed gun shy you may just go back to doing some basic training and get through it it worked for the dog that I've got now. But now that dog, again, was HRCH senior hunter with a duck season behind it and just had a bad experience with fireworks. So it worked out. Yeah, so, so what you're saying, somehow relate the loud noise to something good again for that's the right. dog, which well, is retrieving. Well, I, I think there's a lot of stuff like that, gunshots, a lot of stuff in the dog. I think these dogs read us so well and things that, that we're thinking and in, in, in the way by our action. And – like like dogs sticking on birds that's that's a whole different subject but 
guys that, that worry about dogs sticking on birds will have dogs stick on birds. Guys who are worried about dogs being gun shy, the dog will be gun shy. You know, it's like, I don't even think about it. I just, you know, and really since the dog's been there, I just really put him back in training. You know, I never really even put a whole lot of thought in it. We've done HRC with the poppers. We've done everything. And as long as those birds were going off out there, I have seen really no effect of it whatsoever. Cause like I say, the first three days he was there, I just shot him a flyer. And then after that, we just went back to training on him and I didn't put any emphasis on it. Don't just go out and boom, 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 shoot your gun out in the yard and see what he does add it in, you know, do your marks, do your stuff and let it be just part of your training and see if that fixes it. That, that's my best advice. If it's truly gun shy, you got, you're just, I, th- I don't think there is a fix. Uh, you uh, know, if it's, you just wash that one, start another one. Yeah. Good luck. If he's truly gun shy. And, and if to me, if he's don't have a, if he don't get crazy about birds and crazy about retrieving, it's going to be tough to fix also. That's correct. That <laughs> is correct. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Good job. Uh, let's move on on that one. All right, so next we got underscore Smitty9. What tends to be the most difficult concept to teach an advanced dog? Uh, I think the indented bird, anything short of a flyer. Uh, The indented triple, the hip pocket to the short bird, especially short of a flyer. Uh, Getting that dog to understand to pick up the short bird selecting down and picking up the short bird and then pushing back out to the long bird, in my opinion, is the hardest concept. Yeah. I have to put the most training on. Adam? Yeah, I was I was going to say just pure concept, marking concept, would be the hip pocket, you know, because um, a lot of times you're running past that front fall, fr- past the front side of the fall of the short gun or, or you know, right off the back side of it to a long bird and um, – I think that's hard. I think it, they tend to want to maybe hook the gun out there or something. But that's a, that's one of the hardest concepts to me is, I guess, it would be a hip pocket. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all right. Next. All right, next up we got Chris Graham, 5167. Uh, how do you teach retired guns and popping after sent three-quarters of the way to a retired gun? Okay. Go ahead, Adam. You I, can get that first. I, I'll start teaching them retired guns very early as singles. So I'll have a gunner out there, and then I'll throw, and then I'll let him retire and then send for that bird. And what they call they call it the Canada 10-step or Texas 10-step or something like that. Anyway, yeah. where the gunner throws and he walks 10 steps to retire, and then you refocus back on the bird. I'll just start doing it at short distance with my young dogs and then build on it from there. But um, there's a lot of different ways you can do. Like, to me, on a retired bird, I want my dogs to be – I got to know for myself that they're comfortable getting from point A to point B, first of all, before I retire. And once they're comfortable with that, then I'll retire. So what I may do at first is go get the go bird and come back, have them look out there, and then get a silent throw from a retired position. As a you know, where's your mark? Where's that way out? Good. And when they look, here comes that bird out of nowhere. Boom. You with me, Jim? Yes, sir. Then I cut them free. Um, and then I'll come in and and once they start looking out there, and if they're having trouble looking, I may have the gun holler to me, and hey, 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 but not get up and not move. Just 
a little something to draw them back to that back to that area and then send them. If you start having trouble, you have your gunner come out. I like, you know, just for my liking, I like to have the dog all the way back. If I say I recall it, it went just totally the wrong way, and I recall it, I'll have the gunner come out. But I get the dog all the way back in, get him to look out there, and the gunner comes out, and then I send. I don't, I don't have the gunner out when the dog gets back, and then be like, man, where did that guy magically come from? They see him come from where he retired to. Um, I think that helps too. But then you ask guys like Hunter Hastings, and he says that, you know, recalling a dog, it's like shaking hands with the devil. And so there's a lot of different opinions out there. That's just how I do it. Yeah, yeah. And to address the poppets, that's the same way I teach it, you know, teach it as singles. Address part of that was a question was also popping on those marks. Yeah, why is it yeah, popping? Yeah. So, right. so it, it normally when a dog pops, it, it's out of just total lack of understanding what you're asking. You know, if it's a good dog with a lot of drive, now if it's just a lazy old hound and you're trying to teach retired guns, that you're going to, you, you can luck. get some popping. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good luck. But if it, if it's a truly good dog who's trying and goes out there and pops, all, I, that tells me that dog just doesn't understand what you're asking. So report back to what Adam said, teach it. Don't just do it. I, it you, you may not be teaching it enough for the dog to understand what you're, what you're actually asking of, uh, of him. Yeah. I'd say that dog possibly is not confident enough to get from the line to the bird or, you know, without him not being there. So if he popped on me, I probably would just have the gun holler from his station or come out, you know, just depends. Anytime a dog pops on a mark from me, you know, which don't happen much, my my gunner addresses it, not me. But yep. And I might would even break that thing down and simplify it a little more. Yeah. Well, I, I think too, that's one of those things you got to have gunners and you got to have gunners understanding what you're doing. Your bird boys have to have to have a clue of what you're trying to teach and how to do it. Like we, we use radios. I know you, you know, most pros will have radios, but I think it's vital to have a radio where you can talk to that guy out there and give instructions to help when needed. Yeah. And you, the gunner can't be out there on his phone playing tic-tac-toe or whatever. Because if, no. if he is, I'm going to go out there and get it and throw it in a pond. Um, that's because right. that's he's important stuff we're, we're doing here. So Yeah, he's got to be paying attention to yeah. what's what's he, going on. He's got to be in the game, too, your gunner does. So Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yep. I, I like it. I like it. We'll move on. Yep. All right. Next one, we got J underscore Smith 13. Says, how was it taking the leap from a full-time job into training full-time? Any unexpected obstacles? Mm. You may go first on that, Adam. Yeah, go ahead, and I'll, and I'll give you my two cents afterwards. Yeah. So, I, I, my story in one of our earlier uh, podcasts was, you know, I, it wasn't like a dream of mine to be a full-time pro. I got kind of forced into it by by no other options. I was training dogs and enjoyed it, but I lost, uh, didn't really lose my job, but I was in the building industry when it crashed back in 08 and I was a sales rep and it just went away. So I, I took on more dogs and become a pro, uh, till something better come along. 
<laughs> I'm still waiting, but no, uh, <laughs> patiently, impatiently at this point. No, saying that, the unexpected part of it is I was thinking maybe training dogs, I'd be home a little more and less travel than being a sales rep. I was totally wrong about that. Uh, there's a lot, there's a lot to it, to being a full-time pro that I think a lot of people don't, it, it's a lifestyle. It's not a job. If you're not willing you know, the guys see us on the weekends and the trucks and the trailers and the dogs running pretty good or running real good. And, and, uh, and it's fun, but you know, Saturday morning, Sunday morning, when we're off, we're still taking care of dogs and, 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 and we're still working dogs. It's hard to work. You know, I mean, it's not all master hunters and grand dogs. It's, we're still making hunting dogs out of some of them. That's probably the, not the most desirable dogs to have to deal with cleaning up kennels. You know, uh, you talk to a lot of those guys, you know, I've, 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 I've done a couple of seminars with like Jim Van Egan and he's done, you know, 150 something field champ basics on 150 something field champions and he's still up there every morning wherever he's training at and cleaning kennels and taking care of dogs just like adam and i do so there's really not a level you get out of where you're still not having to to do the work it's it's just a lot of work because it's more work than a lot of people think jim i think you i think you answered that beautifully um very good job and i'll add this to it to it i think every, i agree with what jimmy said you know people see you know at the test running the dogs and getting the ribbons and all of that crap but nobody sees the the layers of work that goes into getting to that point and even at, at the end of that day nobody sees it when um you got to go feeding air at seven thirty in the dark and and one of them's crapped on the truck um there's a lot that goes into it that is not all butterflies and uh, rainbows and, and unicorns. There's a lot that is not. But that being said, if you desire to do this, and this is what you you feel led to do and what your heart tells you to get to do, you can't be so humble that you let people tell you that that's not what you – I mean, you can't do that. If that's what you want to do, get off your butt, go to work, and – I'm a firm believer if you put in the time, you put in the effort, and, and, and dedicate yourself to that, that you'll be successful. Absolutely. I I think, you know, I think there's a, a lot of young guys that that do an excellent job with their dogs, and there's a lot of the older crew that's, that's getting out. There's, a, there's, there's room for dog trainers right now. But, you know, I support the guys who put in the work and the effort and, and, and try hard and and – make nice dogs and, and learning how to do that and searching the right way to do it, it. You know, I commend anybody and I don't care if you're 20 years old or 50 years old, if you're out there in the sun grinding out every day and that term, I don't like, but that's what it really is. You know, it's, it's yeah. spring and fall this time of year. I enjoy training dogs cause it's cool. It's fun. When back in August, when heat index is over a hundred, I, you know, me and Adam still, even though we don't go North, we still had to train, you uh, you better hustle. You got time management, uh, is, is key, you know, and, and, and it's, it's a doable, uh, it's, it, most people are capable of doing this job. I don't think it's necessarily any special talents. Uh, I think it's a learnable career, but I, th- I think it, I think it's a whole lot more work than the average person would think. Right. And I, I agree with 
you can be analytical and be good at this, but I also think that there is a certain point that you have people are more talented than others when it comes to this stuff. Yeah, I, I mean, sensing what the dog feels and and being in tune with the dogs and stuff. I, I, I agree with that, but but I think that's still some of that's still learnable too. You know, I, I think there's because I've seen some guys that you know that started off and were asking too much of the dog, but then they they see they they get the understanding of the dogs and stuff. So, uh, it, but you got to love it to do it. So, but to love it to do it, you're naturally just going to want to get better at it. Uh, absolutely, and as far as it- yeah. Anything that happened that I didn't expect or didn't foresee, I mean, I one of my favorite sayings is, is expect the unexpected. And whatever rolls your way, you deal with it. If it's um, if it's negative, you just have to persevere and, and, and respond and move on. Um, so expect the unexpected anytime, whatever you're doing. Mm-hmm. That's one of my well, favorite sayings. I, I had uh, – left a pretty good job and i'll never forget going after i become a you know full-time pro and i, I had a few dogs i wouldn't you know I, I was making it okay and i went in and sat down and talked to my banker about some stuff and i noticed him since a little kid he said now jimmy what, what are you doing now and i said well I'm, I'm training dogs for a living and i'll never forget the look on that man's face because i owed him a pretty good chunk of money and uh <laughs> you could see the concern in his eye <laughs> how this is all going to work <laughs> out <laughs> and look and that was okay. I, I got it. I understood his point. And thank God, by the grace of God, it worked out, you know. But, you know, some people look at you and you tell them you train dogs for a living and they they just, it's just really hard to understand what that means. And if you're listening to this podcast, you probably have a dog and you've probably trained, so you understand yeah. what we're talking about. But in the grand scheme of the world, there's this a very niche group of people, you know, there's not like there's people, most 99% of the people in my hometown don't really know what I do, you know, or same thing in Foster's Alabama or Pontotoc, Mississippi or wherever you train at most of those people, they see the truck and the trailer and they see, you know, this and that, and they, but they really don't know what you're doing, you know? Right. So, and, and you don't, it, it, you kind of start expecting people, you know, to, to kind of understand, but they don't, they've just never been around it. Like I said, <laughs> they're, they're feeding chicken bones for their dogs, you know? <laughs> That's right. And I, <laughs> I'll say this and we'll move on. Um, this, like you said, this stuff is work, and there's more, a lot more work that goes into it that people realize. If you're one of these type guys that likes laying around your ass eight or nine o'clock in the morning, um, they they'll hire you at the bank to take deposits and put them in a the computer. This ain't for you. But if you want to hustle, you want to get up out of the bed and go get it. Then hey man, I encourage you to go give it a shot, and and give it your best shot if you're gonna do it. So anyway, yep. let's move on. Yeah, yeah. Next one. All right, this next one's a two-part question uh, from H underscore and underscore H Retrievers. First part is, any drill work to improve marking ability? All right. Let's tackle the – it's two-part question. Tackle the first part. Improving marking ability, Jim. Uh, So, with my young dogs, I do a thing called an alignment drill, and it's where the birds are thrown in line straight in the line, starting at 20, 40, 60, 80, out to about 100 yards with ducks in moderate cover, just enough to hide the duck. And what I'm doing there is teaching the dog to mark with his eyes, not his nose, because there's ducks in everywhere. 
and I do that drill a lot. That's one of the things I think helps really improve a dog's marking. It, and I call it the alignment drill. That's just one of, but that's that's something I really like. Does that make sense? You know, like yeah, like I'm at, I'm standing up here with the dog, and and the the bird boy goes out. Say first one's usually about thirty yards, and then maybe 60, 90, 120, whatever, you know, and, and I'll have uh, marked spots out there for them. And every bird comes out, say, left to right, landing in line, first bird, second bird, third bird, fourth bird, ever how far you want to go with it, and the dog's marking. And then I will usually come back in somewhere in there and throw one short check down bird in that. So they may get five marks, but they're all straight, running the same exact line in and out. Uh teaching them to mark with their eyes. I think that's important. I think that gets overlooked a lot and not, you know, get them off their nose early and get them actually going to where the, they see the bird hit the ground. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. I'm, Go I'm, uh, my, man, this may not be the most popular response, but I'm a firm believer that a dog that's a great marker is born a great marker. And, a dog that is an average marker is born an average marker. Can you make average a little better? Yes. Um, can will average ever be great? I do not think so. I personally don't believe it. Um, but what I will say is to, to get better at marking, you got to keep chunking them. Um, you don't get better at hitting a baseball by not swinging the bat. You got to get up there and swing the bat. You got to get up there and put the bat on the ball. So you got to throw the dog marks. Keep chunking the marks. That will get better with time. I, but, like, I believe the great ones are born great, and you just do stuff to insinuate the greatness that they have. Um, and I also believe in this. The great dogs mark great, and that's good, but the average dogs can be taught to go straight and to not avoid factors and to attack factors and to get to the area and put on an educated hunt. I do think they can be taught that. But those double A, you know, mark the blade of grass markers, I think, just born that way. And absolutely, yeah, I agree completely with that. Some of them are just naturally better. Yeah. And that's that's the ones we're look, <laughs> looking for. Yeah. Uh, but you're hunting dogs, you know, you're, you're hunting dogs and dogs that you want to sight mark, you know, and see. They they can be improved. You can hone the skill. Yeah. But the, the big the big dog markers that just get it, they just naturally get it. And, and I agree with that 100%. But you, you got to work. And some of your lesser markers through through a lot of time and effort, you can get them where they're getting them, but it'll never be the same as those just pinpoint marking dogs. Yeah, and the and the talent varies from one that just knows exactly where that bird's laying to one that couldn't mark a school bus if you threw it out there. So uh, That's right. you kind of got to know know what you have and and go from there. To me, yep. but keep chunking them. That's my thing, you know. Throw throw marks, and the way they get better at marking is throwing marks. Yep, yep. All right, covered that pretty good. Part two of that question, Big Alex. Yeah, what's the the other part of that? So part two is asking for a drill to where your setup is they got to get in water, then head piece of land, then go back in the water. And uh, type to be wet, take the line over the land strip instead of staying wet. All right, so I think – the question's a little, like it doesn't great. say for a blind or a mark or right. whatever, but it's like hitting a point. I think it's for a blind, and I think it's see a see a point of land, go across it back in the water instead of wanting to swim around it, Jimmy. 
What's some drills confu- you can do? I, you, I'm, yeah. co- I'm confused. I don't know. Y'all lost me somewhere around Albuquerque. I don't know. <laughs> All right, so, so here's what we're going to say. All right, run, run in a water blind, and you have a piece of land out in front of you, and the line to the blind is across that piece of land and back in the water. It sounds okay. like to me his dog is being overly watery and not wanting to swim close to the to the point. Um, what's something you can do to to offset that to where the dog more you know will go straight across the the, the point of land and back into the water? Yeah, I, so that that's something I have a problem with. I get mine too watery, and I don't know how I do that. I don't, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know if there's, and I don't want them fearful of, you want them seeking water, but you want to, you want, in this day and age, whatever you're running, you, your dog better be comfortable running by the water or getting on land and back in water as comfortable as they are in the water. And balancing that is important. Uh, I, I have started, and, and I, I, I hate to say this, I will run land and water blinds together. I will run my land blinds off the water. I'd rather not do that, but I, I, to to get done what they're asking us to do in, at master levels, you 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 better have a dog that's very comfortable. And I have had, I have had success with that, or what I, I've seen. I've seen improvement. I'm not going to say success. I've had improvement with dogs being comfortable, getting on and off and stuff like that. First of all, I teach each one of those scenarios. Like it's backing up when they're young, I'm going to teach them to get on the point and get a bird. I'm going to teach them to go over the point and back in the water and get a bird. And I'm going to teach them to go by the point. And I'm going to make that very clear. And we're always going to work on one concept at a time, not all three at once. Right. Just like everything we do, we're going to break it down. So that's first. But to get that comfort level, being able to run a blind or a mark that's by the water, but not getting in the water, you just got to, you got to try to build some balance in your training and get that. And then all of that other stuff will get better. So they're not fearful of not taking land when they could take water. You know, that's, it, it's hard. That's, that's a hard, you know, I think in years past, you always worked out with a dog that took more water. Yeah. But even at the field trial game, that's not the case anymore. You know, you know, that you're seeing more and more uh, chip a corner, run a long way on land, now chip another corner or something like that. And those dogs that have just been taught, you stay in the water, you stay in the water, you stay in the water, now you're fighting them, you know. And, and, and now we're having to balance it. I, I don't think it's... I don't think it's the easiest thing to do. It's something I struggle with myself, so I may not be the best one to answer that. But the point thing, I think, is breaking it down. Teach them to go to the point. Teach them to go over the point. Teach them to go by the point. And right. then and do one at a time. No, you can't do all three at the same time. Yep. And I guess what I'll add to it is when you're teaching this, you sound like the young Adam. Because I remember my dogs, when they were headed to a point, they act like it was – the the bubonic plague they you cast them to it and they're like no thank you um so when you're teaching this you're going to have to lay off that red button and teach more and what i mean by that when you do put pressure on this situation it needs to be on the cast and not on the point so when they get out on 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 a point the pressure can't be on that point it needs to be behind it to the shore or it's got to be on the cast beforehand, and just that's just the way I do it. And what I would do there is, 
when I get my dog on a point, I want him to 45 off, basically. And almost every time when I, when I want to work on stopping on a point and getting off, a 45 off of that point. But when you're doing this type of stuff and you're teaching this type of stuff, you know, your dog looks at the point. And the old rule of thumb was if he's going to swim by it, we're going to put him on it. But if he's going to get on it, we're going to make him swim by it. You remember people saying that, Jimmy? Oh, yeah. Oh, right. yeah. So, and I, I, I thought that for the longest time was that way. But at some point in time, you have to allow the dog to make the correct decision. So, um, when you're running point, you know, blinds past a point, if a dog's going to swim past it, some days let the dog be right. That's the right decision. Swim past it. And then other days, stop them, put them on the point, and put them off of it. And I think that will help clarify the dog's mind some if he can make a right decision every now and then. Um, if he's he swimming to the point, let yep. him yeah, let him take the point. Let him get up there and then stop and cast him off. You know? Yeah. Let him make a right decision. Um, don't always make the opposite decision for him. Yeah. But most of the time water water will be better most of the time, but you got to be comfortable yeah. doing it the other way. Like Steven yeah. said, to, to, to achieve some sense of balance, you have to get out of balance first and then come back. Yep. So, yeah. I know. Uh, you just don't want to take, it, weekend, you don't wanna take it so far that they won't even, you can't even cast them over there. Yeah. Like this weekend, uh, run at central Kentucky and had a, had a water blind, very meaty, uh, 80 yards off the water, parallel, parallel in the pond, you know, don't get in the water, get under to a corner, cast a dog into the water out of sight for about the first 10 or 12 yards. Once he got in the water, going to the next point and the duck was at the end of the next point. And you know, that, that was, it was a pretty, pretty meaty master blind, you know, and a lot of dogs had trouble with it. The guys I think judged it pretty fair. Uh, I had one dog come up on land. I didn't do the basics on and have to get cast back in the ones that I had taken all the way through. I stopped, I put them in the water where they needed to go, got them out. And I had to get two casts to get them to the point. Yep. But I was fine with that. They would go that way, but to actually get onto the point, I had to give the second cast and give that little, you know, okay, you know, like back, you know, just give them that encouragement that they, it's okay. Get, you can get up there, you know, and I'm fine with that. I, they they done it and got it good. You know, they, they, they passed and, and got through an extremely hard blind. And I was, you know, they were going to, they would have swam right past that point. I had to cast them onto it. And yeah. I was, I was glad with that. You had to stop giving them that old happy cast, a little, Hey, Hey, yeah, like, hey, hey pop, 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 pop. No, uh, yeah, but that's uh, what I wanted to do. Like, uh, hey, it's good. It's good. Okay. No, that, you know, that just cast. back. Yeah. That little back, like <laughs> you can get up there and they go right over and get the bird and come on back with it. So, uh, you, you're going to see that more and more, like I say, running beside the pond for 60 yards of the blind. And then, and then just jumping in a corner and going out of sight and then, and then, pat, you know, back to another point, you know, that dogs, they got to understand that just cause they got in, they can get back out. It, the balance is key. And you're right. Steven made a very good point there. That was, you, you gotta be able to get, you gotta be able to get all those, uh, all those where they're comfortable with all that stuff. Yep. So, all right, go ahead. Good now. Move on. Yep. All right. So the next one from eating, Eaton home and it says sometimes when I'm running blinds with my dog the dog will just dart offline from where he was set to run. 
All right, so the dog's lined up this way. You say back, and he darts left or right. Just dodges it. Yeah. That's hard to answer, not knowing where that dog is in training. Yeah. Has he been taught no-no drills? Is he is he, is he competent in running a good blind? Um, so how do you want to answer that, Jim? you want to say a dog that is um, – you know, a dog, oh, that, yeah, it would all depend on the, yeah, on what level that dog is running it. You know, if it's a, if it's a finished dog, master level dog, uh, oof, you know, and then is it, are we talking about a, like a first, you know, first year blinds, it's just learning how to cast and stuff like that. I, I don't know. I, Adam, what's your thoughts on that? If it's a young dog, I may not sweat it so much. I may just, as long as it ain't like 90 degrees, but. You know, if he's lined up here and he goes to the left a little bit, I may let him roll. And as long as he's running straight, let him go and stop and cast him. Um, if it's yeah. a, if it's a young dog, um, but if it's an older dog, I might would twi- you know stop him and call him back. And depending on if there's any factors out there, and um, yeah. you know, there could or could not be a nick involved in some of that too. So, um, yeah. one of my master like- dogs, I got them pointed right here, and they go. You know, way left, and I mean, I'm going to stop them and and probably call them back with a nick, or or not me not call them back with a nick, but call them back. No, no, come here and maybe give them one more chance to go where I pointed them or something. You know, um, yeah. But a young dog, I'd kick it off and then let it roll and stop and handle it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree. I, you know, there like I say, there's a there is a lot there's a lot to that question i like you said early on an earlier podcast you know if the dog is running straight and then just bolts left or right is when i'm going to stop yeah Uh, an erratic change of direction would be a stop yeah absolutely when they make a a hard commitment to change direction you know you're going one way and you're going that way confidently then you just bolt left i'm going to put i'm going to blow the whistle right as close to that change of direction as possible that's right. That's exactly right. So, uh, all right, go go ahead with the next question. All right, we got a uh, Sally underscore Cohen one asks, "What are the biggest factors in a dog failing duck school? Temperament, drive, etc." Just want to know. I think work ethic is the number one factor. You know, dogs got to have a little work ethic to get up, be able to do what we do um, yeah. at the level we want it to be done. So. No, I agree completely with that. We don't, don't wash a, more to we don't it. wash a bunch of them out, but to get to a, they gotta have some work ethic to get to a high level at this stuff. Yeah, great. Question. Well, and, and mo- most of the dogs, most of us are getting these days. People have figured out the cost of the dog, cost of the training, cost of running the test. They want to start. We've gone over this a bunch. You starting with the best puppy they could get to to play the game with. Correct. You know, you don't get as much of that. Oh, I'll try it for three hundred dollars a month training. You know, like years ago was. You know that now they come. Most of them, most of them have a pretty good work ethic. If they don't, that guy wants to know it and start another one. Right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Next. Yep. All right, Swan underscore Austin, can you run through all the different concepts to train for? Marking concepts. Oh, man. Uh, oh, gosh. Man, <laughs> well, inlines, hip pockets, mom and pops, <laughs> flower pots. Um, that's a, you know, re, 
re-entry marks. I mean, then you get into the water stuff. Re-entries yeah. down the shores, down the past shore. the water, two down the shore. Yeah, uh, long retired, short retired, indented triple. I mean, there is there is there is dozens and dozens of things that 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 you need to that you need to train for. That uh, man, I, I don't even know where to start. I mean, we're, we're talking oh. about stuff is built over a long period of time too. So yeah, yes, yes, yes. Starting off simple and then building and teaching each one of the breaking each one of those scenarios down uh, for a long period of time till they get the understanding of it. But if you're going to hunt test and you want to know a few marking concepts that you need to be good at, I would say the flower pot, um, a mom and pop, an indented triple, um, yeah. hip pocket concepts. Those right there is going to cover. If they truly understand those, you're going to get a lot of them. Yeah, and just teach them to mark. Yep. Go, you know, yep. teach them to mark. Stay, That's a number one thing. Stay in the water on a longbird. That mm-hmm. that you know, getting out at the right point. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, all right. Yep. Go ahead, Al. Let, let's do one more, and then I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to run. So let's get let's get one more done, and I'm gonna let you guys have it. All right. All right. All right. Gentleman's way underscore Jake. What causes a dog to pop on marks? What's the best way to correct it? Uh, so going back to our earlier statement, I think when a dog's popping, if it's a good dog, I'll, I'll start out. I'm sorry, I kind of jumped in there, but you got it. Uh, you, got it homie. you know, I think it's a clear under the dog's clearly saying he don't understand. If it's a dog that that normally has a good work ethic, really searching birds, you're probably showing him too much and need to break it down a little bit. If a dog pops while I'm training, uh, the my bird boys automatically know to help immediately. I don't want that dog to set on pop for any extended period of time. I had wager other. I had wager other uh, put a. a you know, put some help on him and get that, get that out of the way and not letting that become a habit because I believe that dogs can form a habit. I've seen people at hunt test, you know, and mark his scenarios, the dog goes out and pops and just sit there and wait till the dog runs. I, I try not to do it. If my dog pops and I know he's popped, fetch and cast right then. Like, don't you pop, mm-hmm. you know, I don't let them sit on pop for no period of time, like zero. They, they've got to, they, they've got to move. And that's that's my that's my approach to it. I get so tickled at people that hunt tests that do the stare down staring contest. <laughs> like I yep. laugh and laugh and laugh. But <laughs> here, um, if a dog pops on a mark, which I'm gonna say is is rare, uh, Mister Dennis is gonna hey hey him or, or the gunner's gonna hey hey and get them back to hunting. Let's go back to hunting. Don't stop. Go hunting. And I'm gonna say if your dog's popping and training a lot. I'm gonna say that you're probably handling him too too many birds, and you you're in over his head. You got the cart ahead of the horse. Back up a little bit and do some stuff where he can go out and be successful and confident because he's like he's lacking confidence there. So, but if he does yes. pop, just have your gunner hey hey him and get him back to hunting. And a lot of times that'll take care of itself. Yeah, don't let I, I don't just stand there and wait and see what happens. Moving, I yep. don't think you're getting anywhere. We're just waiting for him to correct, self-correct on that. I think you'll let it build a habit. You agree with that, Adam? I, I agree. I agree. Okay. Yeah. All right. Cool. Good Good deal. Guys, I am setting up an Upland, HRC Upland test. I'm judging. I'm judging with our good buddy, Mike Botts, who will be on with us soon. Absolutely. Uh, 
yeah, so I think we're going to talk to him first of next week. So I'm going to, I'm going to meet with, uh, meet with my guys here and get this test set up. And, uh, I hate to run, but it's always fun, Adam. It's always good, man. We got two more questions. I'll knock him out, bud. And, uh, right. that way we don't leave nobody hanging. And, and we'll no, please. And guys, th- thank you all, everybody for the questions. Thanks for listening. I, I meet people and they tell me they listen. I always ask their name and I always forget. I, I'm going to start writing. I'm going to be like, here, write your name down this piece of paper so I can, <laughs> I can mention them on a podcast. But I met some guys from Southern Illinois who was listening to him and his wife was over there watching us run master dogs. If I could remember your name, I'd, I'd, call, I'd give you a shout out, but, uh, pre- appreciate everybody who, who listens to us and, and hope you're having fun. And if you got more questions, go ahead and send them in. We'll do this again. And we've got a couple of good, good podcast uh coming with some guests some good guests coming up so i'm excited about that all right jim go knock that thing out tell mike bots that i said hello i will for sure him and him and mr leroy mason are here with me so yeah it it will be a it will be a good time i assure you Mm -hmm. yes sir y'all have a good day alex thanks again for your time coming and reading our questions for us and uh boys y'all have fun and and we'll talk to you here very soon all right we'll see you jim i see you guys all right big al let's Let's knock them last two out right there. All right, from Matthew Palmer Terry, will you explain the back pressure you were showing me the other day? Okay, so uh, Matthew was down here the other day, mm-hmm. um, and his little dog was in, and I was explaining to him how um, her force fetch and her hold had gotten a little sloppy because he, maybe she wasn't held to the standard that she was held to here. But back pressure is what I do when I'm force fetching. I will – come through walk and fetch and I will hold the dog back. I put back pressure on them and make them dig into it and that fetch Nick fetch. And they're really digging in and let them explode into that bumper. Um, so that's what back pressure is to me. It's holding that dog back. Have them digging dirt pretty much. Have them digging dirt to try to get to it going through walk and fetch. Yep. Yep. And I think there's a time for that and you create compulsion to get it. Uh, a little bit more by doing that. So that's what back pressure is to me. All right. And then we got the last one from B. Sullivan Motors. BS delivers. <laughs> What's the best thing to train on once a master dog goes home for good? I'm guessing retired. All right. All right. So you got a master dog and it's going home. What's, what's some things you can do to train on it? Man, there's a, that question is, there's a ton of different answers. You know, you could always run blinds and, um, and marks and marks and blinds together. You could do wagon wheel drill. You could do um, steadiness drills. Um, there's a thousand different things you could do. But, you know, always keep the dog's obedience um, up and, and sharp. That's easy to do as an amateur. Um, throwing marks, is running blinds is easy to do as an amateur. But, you know, um, throwing marks is kind of one of the harder parts to do all by yourself. You want you tend to want to be a little lazy and throw them from your side. And then the next thing you know, your dog's um, going out there at 40 steps and don't want to go any farther. So, um, you know, get you, get, get uh miss Lakin out and help, let her throw for chief or, or get Mr. Charlie off his rear end and get him out there to throw for you, Blake. So that would be my thing. So is that all the questions, big Al? That's it. All right. Appreciate everybody listening. To another episode of the Doghouse, man. We appreciate y'all, like Jim said, and uh, keep it coming. See ya. Your Doghouse podcast is available each week on 
on Apple Podcasts, on Amazon Music, and on Spotify. Let Jimmy Rogers and Adam Campbell keep you updated on dog events, retriever hunt tests, great hunting adventures, and great hunting equipment. The Dog House is brought to you in part by Sullivan Motors in Collins, Mississippi. They're your Chevrolet, Buick, and GMC dealer. Remember, BS delivers at Sullivan Motors.